Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I come to you on my couch here in my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we're going to have a conversation about business infrastructure, which impacts you, whether you are solopreneurial or a leveraged entrepreneur or the captain of a battleship of a company with 50,000 employees without infrastructure, you have no structure, basically. So as we've seen, the onset of the pandemic a few years ago exposed a lot of operational vulnerabilities. And you had these supply chain disruptions. And in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I cover the importance of the silver lining in the cloud and why you should invest in it. Silver is a precious metal. So you invest in the silver lining. And one of those silver linings was the opportunity to look at operational excellence, business infrastructure, and process improvement in a way that up until that point, we had either chosen not to, been afraid to, or either come up with reasons not to, or dealt with other people's excuses to why we shouldn't. And the good news is we don't have that luxury anymore. And we've seen that change can happen dramatically and in some cases existentially at any given time. And thus, why this is such a timely topic. Now, speaking of time, our guest today is somebody who is so in demand on this topic that we have spent four months trying to get her on this show. And it finally worked out. Her name is Alicia Butler-Pierre. Uh, she is on a quest to revolutionize the way small businesses operate, which she does by speaking, coaching, writing, lecturing, and podcasting. She's the founder and CEO of Equilibria Incorporated and the best-selling author of Behind the Facade, the world's first published book on business infrastructure. She hosts the weekly business infrastructure podcast, which ranks in the world's top 2%. She's an adjunct instructor on Lean Principles at Purdue University and Operations Management at Nichols College. A chemical engineer turned entrepreneur, she's advised, designed, and optimized processes for organizations including Coca-Cola, Shell Oil, the Library of Congress, and the Home Depot. And even though she didn't work for Pepsi or Lowe's, I guess we'll deal with her. Alicia Butler-Pierre, come on in. Weather's fine. Adam, that is hilarious. The part about Pepsi and Lowe's. And I actually, I have done some work for Lowe's, believe it or not. Oh, okay. I really am partial. <laughs> I'm really fine with all of them. Uh, now, I do, and I do have one question. Coca-Cola mm-hmm. is recently, well, not recently, but within the past couple of years, got a little bit of notoriety, which I was personally cheering like high five, as being one of the first companies to begin doing away with voicemail did you have anything to do with that no i did not i don't know if they've done it company-wide but i know that at least in certain departments they were simply doing away with voicemail for the simple reason that uh, most people communicate by email or some sort of messaging system anyway and voicemail was just kinesthetically 
one of those things. I actually have an anecdote about voicemail, which we may come back to depending on how much time we have. But I just want to know if you were you were the one responsible for that, because yeah. if so, if so, I was going to give you an extra 15 minutes. I was not, but I will say the last time I was around there, the, the headquarters, there were no phones, physical, like you, you remember on, on the desk, you know, you'd see I, a phone. And no. Yeah, well, yeah. You, I know you recently moved and I moved last year. So mm-hmm. I did a big purge before I moved. And one of the things that went were all the desk phones that I, I, I'd kept from over the years. I hadn't plugged in and since what? Before I moved to Las Vegas? <laughs> Oh, gosh, isn't it amazing how, well, you were smart to purge before you left. I I just was scrambling and I just threw things in boxes and just figured, you know what, I'll figure it out later. So I have to go through the sorting process now as I unpack, but uh-huh. it's all good. All right. Well, you know, I purged before and then after. Oh, so two rounds of purging, and there, and there, and there, and there's and there's still a pile of stuff. It's just amazing. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm both essentialist and minimalist. Maybe it's the fact that I'm trying to do two of them uh, is what causes me the problem. Because between essentialism and minimalism, I should actually be minus any possessions at all. In fact, the only possessions we need are the cat grass and the toys for my feline production assistant, Princess Alessandra, who right now is right up in my face staring at me saying, give me attention. No, Alessandra, we're not going to do that. But you can sit here with Daddy while he has a conversation about business infrastructure. Yes, our cats are part of the brand. Now, before we get into business infrastructure, I read off the official bio. Very impressive stuff. Uh, I'm not sure I'm even worthy to be in your presence, candidly. Uh <laughs> But what we want to do is we want to peel back the curtain a little bit and tell us in your own words a bit of something about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. What brought me here? Well, the path was not straight or narrow at all. All right. Uh, It was... (laughs) It looks more like a zigzag and then a boomerang. And because there have been times, it's been 18 years. I know you've been in business like 20, 21 years, right? Uh, well, uh, we are very close to the 20 year anniversary of our yeah. of our um, underlying corporate structure. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Um, thank, thank you very much. I, 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 I've beat every odds and, uh, and uh, occasionally almost beat my own head in. It's uh, And entrepreneurs know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, because I I myself have tried to walk away in the past, and that's why I said it's kind of been like a boomerang too. But it it keeps pulling me back, Adam. Uh-huh. But but the way I started, truthfully, uh, um, I'll give a really short version, you know, Cliff Notes version of this story. But I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm originally from Louisiana. I had been living in New Orleans for about eight years, working as a chemical engineer. Knew I did not want to do that for the rest of my professional career. Um, uh-huh. Started going back to business school, and all of a sudden, my eyes were open. I I was, it was like discovering a whole new world, the world of commerce. Now, all of a sudden, things made sense. You know, understanding what's going on in the marketplace and how that how that impacts things that we were doing when I was working as an engineer, things like our day-to-day production schedules. Um, so I just had this intuitive gut feeling, Adam, that I had to get out of New Orleans quick, fast, and in a hurry, couldn't explain it, didn't make sense at all, abruptly quit my job. And by that was uh, toward the end of 2004, by the very beginning of 2005, I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where I knew one person at the time. Uh-huh. And I just saw it as a land of, of milk and honey, truthfully. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was a serious upgrade from living in New Orleans. And I thought, I actually thought I was going to work full-time as a full-time employee at Coca-Cola, truthfully. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. And after what was about two months of what seemed to be endless, soulless job searching, I decided for the same amount of time, effort, and energy that I was pouring into 
looking for a job uh-huh. for someone else, why don't I redirect that time, effort, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself? And that's yeah. how Equilibria started. So it actually started, Adam, at, through that period of self-reflection and introspection, I was trying to figure out, okay, what is it that I'm naturally really good at? And if I were to do it all day, every day, it would not bother me. I would totally love it, no matter what I was getting paid to do, you know, paid for it. And it was organizing. And I discovered there was this professional organizing group called NAPO, the National Association of professional organizers and i started equilibria so it started as uh-huh. a professional organizing company and what i quickly found was that the majority of the people that i worked with were not hoarders they were not even chronically disorganized people they were by and large home-based entrepreneurs who simply needed systems and processes to keep things in order And over the years, Adam, it has morphed and evolved and shape-shifted from professional organizing to business infrastructure. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. All right. Uh, well, I'm 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 totally happy to support you in that. Okay. Well, um, you know, and with me. Um, after I after I completed my MBA from Duquesne University in 2002, uh, my concentration was human resource management, and my goal was to become a uh, training and development director for a Fortune 100 company. I did the usual, you know, networking interviews, job offers, and stuff like that. Uh, I ended up having two companies that were going to create positions for me, mm-hmm. and I ended up turning it all down. Wow. Well, there's actually a pretty simple reason i uh i just simply uh how do i just simply how how do i how do i put this i um caught the entrepreneurial bug Hmm. i mean what can no turning back yeah that's that's what happened once you've been bitten it's hard it is to ignore it yeah because what would happen along the way is i ended up uh doing some side work with uh with a cult with a previous mentor of mine who uh at that point in his trajectory owned a small training and development firm and he needed somebody to do a number of things for him including uh read books he didn't have time to read and summarize what he needed to know from them uh which was basically like free continuing education for me that i actually got paid for uh basically i was getting paid to read books and write summaries uh then uh he uh, also was in the process of writing his first book for the industry and was looking for and was looking for assistance with a um and was looking for assistance with um how sh- how should we say uh the research for it and so i ended up doing a lot of research for his first uh for his book and then uh he also uh was looking for uh, assistance with collating data from employee surveys with his clients, which gave me a lot of priceless information about hmm. how some of the real needs in terms of training and development, and some of which, you know, since we're speaking about infrastructure today, was influenced by infrastructure candidly, and oftentimes a lack or a perceived lack thereof. But before we move on to you, I just want to I just want to make uh, one observation which is that um I finished uh, my undergrad at Penn State in 1998 I was a poli sci major political science I thought I was going to law school and about 3 weeks before I graduated I attended a seminar that was taught by an adjunct professor there um in the Dickinson School of Law he was a corporate attorney and he was probably one of the most uh ruthless bastards you'd ever want to meet in a court of law he was charismatic he was mesmerizing he was hypnotizing he 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 drew you in and he and he took you down a journey of what it really meant to be a success i mean a really successful attorney and what the practice of law really meant i couldn't get enough of what he had to share and in two hours 
I had, there was no way in hell, after two ways of listening to him, there was no way in hell I was going to be a lawyer. I wish I, I wish I'd have met that guy when I was a freshman. <laughs> so I can, so I just wanted to share that because I can relate to the idea of, yeah, the, yeah, you find out just at the, at the, you know, at the end of the final quarter that now nah, this ain't what I'm doing. I know. And, it, and you've, you've invested, you know, all of that time. Um, because we, we, it, unfortunately, as you said, it, it, it wasn't until you were about to graduate that you actually met someone who told you the real deal. Yeah. I, I just, I just think that's so unfortunate. I was listening to another one of your interviews with, uh, Michelle. She was in Malaysia. And, and oh yes and her yes you all started having a conversation about the education system and i i really resonated with things that you were saying because i think it's not to go off on a tangent but i think it is broken in so many ways at every level from kindergarten all the way up to the collegiate level um i i certainly would have benefited from having someone as you mentioned at freshman year saying this is what on paper you're reading the books and yeah, you think this is the career that you want, but let me tell you, know, this is, this is what a day in the life looks like for a career in X. Uh -huh. um, and that, that would have definitely, uh, I, <laughs> I probably would have changed my mind also similar to you. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. 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 I, I, I got, I got you. I got you. Um, and uh, so what I'd like to do right now is uh, get into this infrastructure topic because we're already a third of the way through. We're having so much fun here. And uh, the first thing I wanted to do is define some terms. So in Alicia's view, what do you call business infrastructure and why does it matter? And I ask that particularly uh, for our audience of startups that are on their way to revenue or solopreneurs who are on their way to creating leverage and creating organization why does it matter for these supposed small businesses thank you so much for that question adam so business infrastructure is a, my definition it is simply a system for linking the people you'll appreciate that with your hr background the people the processes <clears throat> and the tools and technologies that are absolutely essential for keeping your business operating. So right. business infrastructure is linking those elements together so that when you do, as you do grow and as you actually scale, you can do so in a repeatable, sustainable and profitable way. Yeah. That's what business infrastructure is. It's the not so sexy stuff that matters. And the reason it matters to answer the second part of your question is because as your business starts to grow, if you have the benefit of having, let's say, a viral moment of some sort, whatever that may look like for your business. Uh, which could be good or bad, depending. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. That's exactly where I'm going with this. Um, it's a great thing, right? Because all of a sudden you have this attention, all of it, you've been wanting this. But if you don't have the infrastructure in place to support that kind of demand in a short time, your business can and will implode. Yeah. Imagine your website shutting down all of a sudden because you have the benefit of being on the local morning show wherever you live. And just of that few seconds of airtime on TV causes all of this traffic to go to your website. And now all of a sudden it crashes. Why? Because you did not have the resources in place to be able to handle the bandwidth. Or all of a sudden you have all of these, these orders that are being requested. Or uh -huh. if you have a service, there are people who are, your phone is ringing like crazy. You're being, you know, you're, you're receiving these text messages emails, you are completely inundated. If you don't have business infrastructure in place, that means you have no processes. As you as you start to build your team, no one's going to know how to do anything, let alone what to do. The output of your products and your services will not be consistent. 
And that will that is a surefire way of upsetting customers. And we all know angry customers are always louder than happy customers. And the word will spread. And before you know it, that viral moment has become your worst nightmare. This is why, and it's not to scare people, Adam, but it's, it's to say you have to have a consistent way of delivering your products and your services to your customers. That is what business infrastructure gives you. Yeah. You know, and, and, sometime, and sometimes it can be the least expected things. Uh, some of our listeners may have been paying attention for a long time and may remember that about 10 years ago, give or take, and this, boy, where we are today in 2023, this seems like uh, some bygone era. Uh, President Obama gave the State of the Union address and Marco Rubio was uh, designated to give the Republican response. And right in the middle of it, uh, he took a drink of water. And, uh, you know, because you know, you know how some viral things are just stupid. People made a big deal out of the fact that the guy was in the middle of giving a detailed presentation. So he took took a sip of water, like big freaking deal. But you know how people are. And that's also the nature of viral things. Sometimes it's something you think is stupid. And uh, but yet that's the thing that everybody latches on to. When that when that when that moment happened, who was the biggest loser? Who was the biggest loser? I don't know. The uh, company that manufactured the water. Mm. Nobody was minding their social media. Oh, they missed out on a gold mine. Oh, wow! Wow! In fact, in fact, in fact, I, in fact, I thought of this as I was, uh, as you were telling me that about viral moments. That's the first thing that jumped out to me, and uh, I'm actually, I'm, I've actually been online here trying to look up the name of oh i and after five minutes i finally found it poland spring poland spring i i know that brand yeah wow no no but nobody was minding the twitter they had they had incoming all over the place they they could have they could have spun that into who knows how many opportunities and, and it was, it was handed to him on a silver platter, and yeah, it was, and it was over the it was over the dumbest thing. But imagine <laughs> how many people would buy Poland Spring water, and for whatever reason. And think about those of us who would kill to have that kind of product placement, right? There, there are yeah. people who pay a lot of money to have their products placed in movies or TV shows, and here they had truly free publicity. Yeah. Wow, and 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 it and it doesn't matter what you think about the politics or anybody involved. The fact is, the exposure was there, and if you and if you know and if you know how to play that one, uh, you can you can you can win both ways. Wow, you 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 can you can get the people who love who love him and hate him to buy from you for their own reasons, but mm. no, nobody was minding the store. Wow, and you know, someone was asking me a couple of hours ago about an example of, of what we're talking about. And I said, you know, I'm thinking of this company. It's an I ice cream company that was in Brooklyn. And just on a whim one day, Michael Eisner walks in, former CEO of Disney, falls in love with the ice cream. In fact, he loved it so much. He was like, you know what? Why don't you guys come on down, set up shop at Disney World in Florida? Uh-huh. Who would turn down that opportunity, right? Uh, so they get down there and they thought because they did not have the business infrastructure, they had nothing to replicate, Adam. Nothing was documented. They just literally thought, okay, we're just going to go down there and uh, yeah, uh-huh. We have this big contract with Disney World. Okay, yeah, we'll just, uh, we're just going to wing it. And it, they failed miserably. And it's, it's so tragic because they had the opportunity to really take their business to the next level. I'm sure in ways they could not have even, even in their wildest dreams, they could not have fathomed. I mean, just think of how random that is. Yeah. That a CEO of a large conglomerate like that walks into your business, falls in love with your product. And wants, you know, you don't even have to, 
they did the product sold itself, right? They didn't have to say anything to him. The ice cream itself sold, you know, the CEO was already sold on it. Right. They couldn't, they, they couldn't make it happen. So it, it's just tragic. Um, and, and I know, I'm sure you have tons more examples that you can draw from as well. So this is why it's important. Uh, you just never know. You never know when someone might just do a name drop, uh, you know, on a, in some way. And, and like you said, it, it takes off, it becomes viral. And uh -huh. if you aren't ready, what a, what a tragedy. Yeah. So here's, uh, here's one of my thoughts about this. Um, when I look at infrastructure, particularly for the solopreneur or the smaller business or the business that's in transition to a new level, I think of it in terms of what are the things you're spending time thinking about that your business would be so much better off if you didn't have to think about it because it was just codified and it was just something that you did. Mm. That's a great way because you're right. It A large part of what kick, kickstarts your business infrastructure framework or the framework that, that we have is delegation because we are wearing so many hats. And sometimes we don't even realize it until we start to kind of put it on paper, so to speak, uh -huh. right there in front of us. Like, whoa, I'm okay. I know I'm busy and I know I feel like I'm a chicken with its running around with, with its head cut off, but I didn't realize I'm literally doing the work of five or six different people. And isn't it, isn't it something, Adam, when you do start to delegate things and get things off of your plate and to see that thing that you thought was kind of minor and insignificant, how it can just absolutely take on a life of its own uh -huh. because it's delegated to someone else. And it just, it's, it's a true testament to, um, Truly, as the leaders of our businesses, we have to focus on revenue generating activities. We have to focus on the things that bring in the revenue. I think oftentimes one exercise that I like to take clients through as well, there's a chart that I have and it's called how much is your time worth? Even if you don't pay yourself an hourly rate, it's a good exercise to think of what is your hourly rate? I know you mentioned yeah. that high profile lawyer that spoke to you as a senior in college. Uh, let's just take a wild guess and say, mm, let's say maybe he was making $350 an hour. I, I think even in 1998 terms, I mean, I mean, he was, uh, he, I mean, he was representing, um, governments, um, oh, he both, he was representing governments that were suing the United States and the United States government suing other governments. That's the level he was playing with. Ah, okay. So, well, let's think about a person like that. And if he didn't even have an assistant, okay? And as he's preparing these cases... As yeah, he was dead in the water, but go on. Yeah. Conducting his research, <laughs> um, you know, let's let's say in, in, in the process of preparing for a case... He has to make copies, you know, copies of paperwork. We all know when uh -huh. you're dealing with lawyers, there's a there's all kinds of contracts and things like that that have. Oh yeah, there are. So, is it truly worth? Let's say he made a thousand dollars an hour. Is making copies really a one thousand dollar an hour task? I'm gonna say I'm. I'm it's not even a hundred dollar an hour task. <laughs> exactly. But we have, let's think, so for those, for your listeners, for everybody who's listening to our conversation right now, ask yourself that question. As you start to take an inventory or take stock of everything that you're doing in your business, down to the detailed task level, literally start to kind of check off what's truly worth my hourly rate. Uh -huh. Anything that doesn't make the list, that doesn't make the cut, delegate it. That, that's like your first round of delegation. And, and Adam, I, I also want to be clear because I know sometimes people, obviously, uh, many of us can be very cost conscious. And that's certainly something we all have to be 
sensitive to. When, when, when you and I talk about delegation, we aren't necessarily talking about building this massive team of, of all full-time employees. This could be someone that you, you find on Fiverr or Upwork.com to just, just to offload some of, let's say, maybe some graphic design work that you might be doing because you figured out how to use Canva.com. But yeah, okay, good for you. But is that really a $350 an hour task that you should be doing as the founder slash CEO of your small business? Or if you can find this person on, on, again, I'll just use Fiverr who can do this for 50 bucks. Isn't that what you should be doing? Just delegating to that person? Yeah. I would, I mean, I would think, uh, yeah. And it's, and it, the more you start to delegate, the more it frees up your time to really focus on the things that truly are worth your hourly rate. Uh huh. That's, that's, that's kind of a, a starting point, if you will, for figuring out, I need to build a team. I know I need help. Where do I even begin? Right. Start. Yeah. Just start thinking of those different tasks and activities. What can you start offloading today to a virtual assistant, for example, to a graphic designer, to a bookkeeper? These are people who do not have to be on your payroll, so to speak. These are people that you can work with on an as needed basis. Uh, you might work out an arrangement where they, they bill maybe 10 hours a week, 10 hours a month, whatever your need is. And then over time, you can just continue growing as you have, as your business continues to grow, then you can start to give people even more work. And eventually the things that you might be outsourcing, you can then start to bring in house as full-time employees. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, you know, you, you're, you're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what is really worth your hourly rate, however you calculate that. See, and I look at it in terms of what does it feel like you're constantly re-engineering? What wheels are you constantly reinventing? And what is it something that's happening routinely? Now, there's another place that I would go uh, and look at is where would having a simple process streamline things and where does making exceptions to it cause disruption, problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Now, I have a story. It's also in my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy. At least I think it is. I think it's in there. I think it's it's some it's it's a voicemail related story. I said put a bookmark on it. Yeah, yeah. When I one of the jobs I had after I graduated college and. Uh, and while I was pursuing my MBA, uh, as I worked for a uh, behavioral care, health managed care organization, and my job, one of the jobs I had there was working in uh, the provider relations department, dealing with issues of one-time contracting when our members wandered into uh, mental health facilities outside the coverage area. So basically out of network stuff. And uh, and so I became sort of an intermediary point of contact between the people in care management who would do the pre-certs and the authorizations and things like that and the financial side that would decide whether or if there was going to be payment for it. And my job in the middle was to create the glue in forms of forming the agreement that uh, the pay, the facilities either signed it or they didn't. They wanted paid or they didn't, right? So um, one of the first things I did when I got in there is uh, I persuaded my supervisor that all of the requests for non-participation provider agreements should be emailed to me using a web form that the care management team would have access to. And they liked the idea uh, we implemented. We actually did a um, a whole series of trainings for staff. And it was one of my first experiences doing corporate, you know, training in a corporate environment. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I had this one person in care management. I swear to goodness gracious, I could set my watch by it. Every day at 2.15, I'd be, uh, if I happened to be sitting at my cubicle, uh, 
the phone would ring and it would be her calling and the message would always say, uh, hi, Adam, this is Betty. Can you give me a call back when you have a chance? You know what I did? Hmm. Never called back. Because what, what the hell, what the hell is that? I mean, uh, I mean, the, the, there's no stated purpose. Right. Uh, there's, the, uh, there's, there's no real reason. Uh, and one time, I guess she thought she was going to try and bust me or something. About 20 seconds after I didn't answer, she shows up standing over my cubicle. She says, did you see that I just called you? It's like, yeah. Well, you didn't call back. You didn't answer. It's like, I didn't have a chance. Now, how can I help you? <laughs> now, here's the other piece of the Pavlovian training is uh, something in her mind clicked and uh she began emailing me around 2.15 p.m. every day. And I swear to goodness gracious, I broke the land speed record replying. I'm not even sure she hit send before I had already replied to it. <laughs> what I was doing there was, when I look at it through the lens of what we're discussing today, one of the most basic pebble-sized pieces of business infrastructure that you can possibly look at is, how can you save five minutes? And how by having a process streamlined? Because you, because you know, you know, she was asking when it really came down to it is, what code should I use? Yeah, she dealt with one certain type of patient. It was always the same code. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. How many? I, I don't know how many. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I had to say W zero one three ninety. I even remember the code. So that's how I look at it is what are little things you can do that you're not reinventing the wheel and you're saving five minutes here and there because that can add up. So those are the questions I ask. Now, what are absolutely a part of it? Yeah. Now, what are some questions that, in your view, business infrastructure answers? There's four main ones. Yeah. Number one, what work needs to be done? And that's kind of what we were just talking about with coming up with that almost like a job task inventory. If yeah. You the second question that it answers is how is that work organized? And what we're getting, what we're, where we're going with that question is, okay, once you've figured out what work needs to be done, how is it actually organized into departments? Because that alone will also help you figure out how to put in that structure. The third question that it answers is, or the, yes, the third question that business infrastructure answers is, what are the processes? How is that work performed? And then finally, how do you do the work? Right. That's the piece that you were talking about, the, the processes. So it's one thing to identify the work that has to be done, but then the processes and the systems actually make sure that one, that the work is actually documented, the how you do it. And then once you document it, okay, how can we, how can we make what we do better? You know, uh -huh. those old BASF commercials, I think they would always say, you know, at BASF, we don't make a lot of the things you buy. We make a lot of the things you buy better. Uh -huh. that's, that's one way to think about your processes. So it's not enough to just document them. You then want to figure out, okay, how can we do this quicker how can we do this better how can we do it cheaper and that's when you start to get into conversations about all right what technologies can we use to potentially automate some of this or, or is there a way that we can uh do some things in parallel instead of waiting you know doing things sequentially is it possible for us to do some things at the same time just again just to make things go faster the reason that's so important, Adam, is because the faster you are at providing your goods or services, the more you can, you have a greater capacity to take in even more business. So remember how we were talking about earlier, you know, if, if you have a viral moment. Well, yeah. actually, you mentioned the pandemic. You mentioned the pandemic at the beginning. Remember how they were running out of Clorox wipes? and Lysol and all that kind of stuff. 
it's oh yeah i didn't run all that i didn't run all that stuff for the simple reason that i buy it once a year and the simple reason i buy it once a year is i don't feel like lugging up the steps more than once a year <laughs> so i personally was fine uh but i do know that people got stupid about it by um by raiding uh the shelves and buying every right. single bottle of hand sanitizer in town and then trying to sell it on ebay at a like at a 950 percent markup i mean there's capitalism and I could have seen if they went and bought all the hand sanitizer and sold it at a hundred percent markup because hey, that's capitalism. They saw an opportunity, they grabbed it. But nine hundred and fifty percent—that's gouging, and I'm glad they got shut down. Yeah. If they were only going for a hundred percent, maybe even one hundred and fifty percent, I would have said, "Good for them." They saw a trend and got ahead of it. That's capitalism. Those who want to cry about it, maybe look ahead next time. Yeah. And, and but I yeah, we all got yeah. We, but uh, this, but. The pandemic proved the great Cornholio was wise. Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, so uh, you know operationally for those who were trying to keep up, like oh my god, all of a sudden again we have this surge in demand. Yeah, how do we keep up? And so even these large companies were tasked with how do we not just double our output but triple, quadruple. 10x our output yeah um, the only reason they were able to respond as quickly as they could was because they had the processes and this uh -huh. was just a matter of scaling it up so that's going back circling back to what you asked at the very beginning why is this so important why should small businesses care about this because whenever you have those moments where there are spikes in the demand for what you do, you want to be able to quickly scale it up. Because businesses, we all know, they expand and they contract. They expand, they contract. When they do expand, you want to make sure that you are ready. Right. This is what all of this stuff we're talking about, this is why it matters. Because uh -huh. quickly go and... and add more bodies to your team. Just think of how much smoother that onboarding and orientation process is going to be knowing that you have the majority of the things that they need to be successful at their jobs already documented. Oh, certain, certainly. And, um, and as people come and go, and if like, if you have a specific way of doing things, it uh it it spares you from having to have the same conversation 55 times right you know i i discovered i discovered this um with uh, one of my longest term clients somebody who's been with me for almost 20 years you know when i first started working with him and uh, he listens to these podcasts and he knows who he is and uh and uh he's seen he knows exactly who he is uh uh he used to frustrate me to no end because it felt like uh, it felt like no answer I ever gave him to any of his questions was acceptable. Uh, like he was trying to understand how to do blog posts. He was trying to understand how this was in, and, and this is in the nascent area of social media, social media as a business tool, how to do posts and things like that. And, uh, and finally, I just got so annoyed with explaining it to him over and over again, that never being good enough that uh, I uh, I had this little software that everybody's heard of called Camtasia. I filmed a video of me doing it for him. And then I sent it off. And then uh, I didn't hear from him for almost 18 hours. I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? Well, see, the thing is, is he called me the next day while I was traveling. And he said that... Um, he had and now he's going to know who he is um he uh <laughs> he had to he, he he before he could tell me his thoughts on the video he had to have his girlfriend in sweden watch the video so that she could understand uh what the best piece of customer service he'd ever experienced looks like wow and that opened up a whole a whole set of doors on the mm. on the ability of to communicate from one to many and how to create these infrastructural things with our, with our system for launching podcasts. Uh, if the client requests it, we give them a tutorial on the proper way using our process to, to launch their, uh, you know, to post, you know, to edit and post and uh, pub publish their episodes. So uh, one of our clients, so you know, we launched a podcast and he had somebody else on board 
who is going to handle the ongoing um, editing, production, and posting for him. Uh, and or the deal say we say it's like good, good. We'll give you the tutorials, and then let us know when uh, you post the first one because I'll take a look at it and see how you did. Well, they did that, and I looked at their work, and uh, I only had to look at it for a few seconds. I said. You watched my video up until the 47-minute mark. Then you decided you knew everything and went on your own. Am I right? Mm. It's because everybody gets substantially the same process. There are just little modifications we make based on individual preferences, but it's substantially the same thing. Um, I saw after the 47-minute mark exactly where it just went way off the reservation. Hmm. That goes back to processes. That goes back to infrastructure and having a standard way of doing things. On the surface, it looks very clean and very simple. It's because wow. the moving parts are on the back end and the end user doesn't see the duct tape. Yep. That is so, so, so true. I, 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 I can't think of the exact quote from Steve Jobs, but it's, it's uh, you know, I'll paraphrase here. It's something to the effect of, the simpler something looks on the outside, the it's usually a lot more complicated behind the scenes. So right. think about, you know, like different Apple products. It always has a very clean interface, but whew, behind the curtain, under the hood, it is complex. Um, and, and that's, I think, I tell people all the time, if you, one of my philosophies, <laughs> especially when it comes to, um explaining certain things or if you're trying to to quickly capture whether you're trying to make a business case for something or if you want to explain how something works if you can't fit it onto one page then you probably don't understand it and the reason yeah. i say that is because it's going to if you really know what you're doing and you really know what you're talking about you can summarize it onto one into one page or onto one page, whether you're drawing a picture or you're actually writing, you know, uh, actual content prose. Uh, but the point is you have to have that ability to be able to simplify as you present it to whoever your end user or end consumer will be. Uh -huh. But behind the scenes, it's exactly what you just said, Adam. It's, um, what, what the customer may see or experience as maybe three steps. Oh, our three-step process for doing blah, for yeah. creating a product, you know, helping you launch your, your business podcast. Yeah. But behind the scenes, Adam, you and your team probably have, it's probably more like a hundred steps. Well, you, have, you, well, you, you, you host a podcast. Uh, right. Did you, did you, <laughs> did you build that internally or did you hire a firm to do it? How did that come about? No, we built it internally. There was a lot so you know. of trial and error over the years. Oh, yes. Oh, do I know? Yeah. It's so funny because whenever people ask us, well, how do you do it? It's like, oh, you know, there's there's three stages. You know, there's pre-production, production, and post-production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying I'm try I'm I'm trying not to laugh out loud at how simple you made that sound. <laughs> but, but 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 here but here's the thing. Once you get the processes laid down and once you have things codified so that you don't have to think about it and reinvent it every time, it does get a lot easier and a lot faster. Absolutely. Like, 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 uh, like, as I said, we do the tutorials and uh, my tutorials usually take, uh, they usually end up running a little bit over an hour and a half because I go through every single step slowly so that when they're scrolling back to try and find something they think they missed, they can easily find it using the little scroll tab thing. And also so that they understand all the implications and how all the duct tape comes together to create a very strong seal behind the scenes. Mm. The actual process takes like 15 minutes. And it's also designed in such a way that your best bet is to batch your podcasts. I mean, because uh, you're almost losing economies of scale. I mean, as a as a podcast host and producer yourself, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. No, no, that's that's also something I I learned in the very beginning. Absolutely, batch, batch recording.
Yep, and yeah, yeah, and you're and you're uh, as of our conversation here, you're at, uh, you're in the two sixties in terms of the number of episodes you've done, which is uh, which means you beat pretty much every statistic for podcast longevity yourself. Yeah, because uh, I know there's a thing in the industry known as pod fade, and you know I chuckled yeah. during COVID because so many people thought, well. I'm listening to Adam. I'm listening to Alicia. You know, how, how hard could it be? You just get on Zoom. I already have a Zoom account. You know, I, I'll go get a mic, headset. How hard could this be? And when somebody comes to me and they says they already have the Zoom, they already have the mic, they already, if they want to do a video version, they already have the good Logitech Brio webcam. I say, awesome. You've covered, you've covered the basic fundamentals. Now let's turn this into a machine. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard work. So the actual recording, like you and I, you're interviewing me. That's, I tell people all the time, that's the easy part, but there's so much more to it than just the actual interview itself. There's the prep work that goes into it. There's the, then once the interview goes live and you've, you've, you've launched it, there's all of that promotional work that takes place. And then I'm sure. Adam, because you specialize in helping people build business podcasts, you're teaching them about, you know, some different business development strategies and turning guests into potential clients. It's all in the podcast reach system. There are entire modules on what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, that is a lot of work. And so that's why it was interesting to see how many people started podcasts during COVID because they're all at home. They're thinking, okay, I'm bored. Let me start a podcast. Oh crap, this is hard. This is like a lot of work. And and the converse yeah. of that and the converse of that is, well, I'll just live stream it on Facebook and YouTube. See, look, StreamYard lets me do both at the same time. And uh and that's a podcast, right? It's like, yeah, it's a it's a live stream. You it's 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 it's, it's everything except for being a podcast, and it also it also does not have the organic content multi-purposing capabilities that having a podcast gives you. Yeah. I don't also, it also just simply, it also just simply doesn't have the same panache as uh, having your own media outlet. Like I look at uh, your show here, and I see that. Uh, I mean, it's it's got a great brand, the the Business Infrastructure Podcast. I couldn't have keyworded that better if I'd have dreamed of it based on what you do <laughs> and the types of guests, the types of guests you want to interview because you hope some of those guests become clients or alliance partners in some way or introduce you to more of the same and and it just, I mean, I mean, other than one small thing that I would suggest you do differently, this is pretty much, this is pretty much our system. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, you're real, you're real close. <laughs> <laughs> good to know that I'm, I'm close to meeting the Adam Homie seal of approval. Yeah, 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 but we but we can we can get you 100% of the way there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, so we have a few we have a few minutes left and uh and uh, we might have to have you back for a part 2 because there I think there's some stuff here that we didn't really get into as much detail as I wanted to and I know that that means it's going to be 4 months from now, but that might be a perfect interval. No, it will not be 4 months from now. <laughs> yeah, but there yeah, cuz cuz there cuz there's some things that I want to speak with you later about uh, you know, sales and marketing and operations and the battle between the seen and the unseen. I want to get into that, but we don't have time. Uh tools to help small businesses digitize their operations. Want to get into that, don't have time. But there's one thing that I really want to spend a couple minutes on, and we'll have you back for a part two, is um, what home office setup tips do you have for people working remotely? That may seem like a trite question, but uh, think about it. It's your infrastructure. It's what's around you. Sure. One of the things I recommend is even if you are just in, uh, you've taken residence in one of the rooms in your home, Try to compartmentalize your space. And what I mean by that is, you know how, Adam, we were talking about earlier how you want to try to figure out what are the departments that make up your company? Yeah. Even if you are a solopreneur. Uh -huh. The reason why that's important is because you want to start getting into the habit of having these work zones, if you will. So imagine you're in one room 
And in one corner, you might say, okay, this is where I'm going to have all of my sales and marketing related information. And another corner, that's where I'm going to have all of my day-to-day operational things. Another corner, this will be everything that has to do with, you know, anything that's technology related, HR, whatever the departments are of your company. Yeah. The reason why that is helpful is because, again, if you are growth minded and you know that you want to one day graduate outside of your your home office and potentially into commercial space, this is getting you into that mindset of keeping things separated. But, you know, it's 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 all very much interconnected, but you still Uh have dedicated work what i'm referring to as work zones if you will for those different areas that way even if you bring someone if you have an assistant that you find who works with you maybe on a part-time basis you ask that person to come over to your home maybe once or twice a week (coughs) that person has also bless you has a space where they can um where they can sit and do that i'm thinking very (laughs) specifically of when i was growing up there was one of our neighbors I'll never forget this. She had, uh, it was supposed to be, this particular room in her home was really supposed to be like a game room. She turned it into an office. She was a home health care nurse. She started her own business. And I remember this, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about this in years, but I was about maybe 13, 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember her starting her business and she eventually hired a secretary. The secretary Uh would come there every morning, and I think she would work there maybe four hours every Monday through Friday. And then, Adam, eventually they leased a a suite inside of an office building. And it just kept growing and growing until eventually she purchased her own building. Um, Gosh, I never thought about, I never, I forgot about that story with Miss Annette. And unfortunately, she, she passed away a couple of years ago with cancer, but she was became this super successful entrepreneur um but uh-huh. i remember those 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 early days you know we always talk about the proverbial garage or basement but she was she was in a regular room in her home no garage no basement yep. uh but she literally bought two desks two chairs she had the desk phones uh-huh. <laughs> that was back in the day when we still actually had phones. And, um, I just remember that she just, it just kept growing. It just kept growing. And eventually she got out of her home and again, into some leased space and then ultimately owning her own building. So yeah, that, that is what I rec those. That's one major tip that I recommend. And then of course, if you if you desire to have a paperless office, absolutely invest in a scanner. You know, as papers start to come in, most things now are digitized. But there are some of us that that still you know might receive paper. We don't want to keep it. Yeah. In the scanner or use your use your cell phone. There's so many scanning apps that are out there. You can literally use your cell phone, your mobile phone, as a scanner. Yep, I found that out recently. Yeah, yeah, I have an iPhone. iPhones automatically come with that feature, but I know there there are other apps that can be downloaded, like on the you know Google Play Store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll make a PDF, just like uh, just yep. like your own uh, your previous uh, you know scanner would. Yeah, and it's it's high quality too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so we are actually at the top of the hour here, um, and so uh, just to. Um, give our listeners uh, something you have a little gift for them and that is a masterclass you have so if people go to this website www.egbsystems that's e oh no excuse me it's, e, it's eqb i'm sorry eqb eqbsystems.com so it's equilibria eqbsystems.com forward slash courses you can try and understand what i just said or you can just go to our website and look in the notes but eqbsystems.com forward slash courses and uh there is a master class there 
called the Smooth Operator Masterclass. And basically what it does, it gives you some tools you need to streamline your back office operations and train your staff with new processes so you continue growing without the heartburn and all other kinds of things that can help you really help you in terms of building business infrastructure and keep operating smoothly. And while you're there, I also encourage you to check out the Business Infrastructure Podcast. It's a really good one. I uh, I very rarely have time to scan like 20 episodes before I bring somebody on, but I actually peaked at one or two of these, and I can tell you that it's a really good show. So uh, again, that's eqbsystems.com forward slash courses. And Alicia Butler-Pierre, until next time, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.